going to do is three parts. We're going to begin by having six experts in various iterations of healthcare missions speak to you. They're going to introduce themselves, and they're going to tell you in a relatively short time, two or three minutes, what they do. So this is going to be experts in long-term missions, short-term missions, domestic missions, healthcare education missions, disaster relief missions, and business as mission, healthcare business as mission. That doesn't cover 100% of healthcare missions, but it's a, it's a lot. So they're going to talk about that. Your job is going to be to hear and listen, especially those of you who are in the stage of contemplating a career in healthcare missions. And then we're going to have a brief time after that to have discussion two or three amongst ourselves about which of those was most interesting and why. Secondly, we'll have three experts who are um, going to tell us about preparation. Once you make the decision to enter into this career, how do you get to the next stage and how do you get launched? So we'll discuss in that preparation. Following that, we'll talk a little bit about preparation together. Lastly, we'll have a thriving missionary talk to us about what it means to thrive on the mission field. So let's see if we can get our first group of folks up here. I should have called you up already. They're going to introduce themselves. Here they come. Yeah. So I'm going to begin. Uh, my name is Joseph Daniel. I am an ER physician, and he mentioned kind of business's mission. Sometimes you hear marketplace worker, um, a marketplace professional. So I am a marketplace worker, and I hope right now that you all are. The idea of the marketplace worker is I'm an ER physician. I worked in the U.S., and now I got a job working overseas. I'm using my ER physician skills so that I can intentionally be in a place that I couldn't otherwise go. So the idea is that it's kind of life and you live where you are, and you're light where you are. And the idea is there is no uh, separation between secular and spiritual. I can work up to 60 hours a week, and I get to do 60 hours of ministry a week. Um, There's more to it than that, but that is kind of the basis of being a marketplace worker, is being light where you are. What does it look like? Well, I like the idea of clinical excellence with love. If you do your job well, and you do it really well, and you're the best doctor, best nurse you can be, and you do it with love, In a lot of places, this is true in the U.S., you're going to blow the people's minds, and they will come find you. So the idea is you demonstrate so that you can proclaim. And this is a big part of the marketplace worker model, is you can't just go and demonstrate. You have to be ready for them when they come to you with questions, so you demonstrate. Why is it important? Well, you can pay your own way. When my wife and I, uh, last time when we were in the field, we were supporting seven other missionaries while we were in the field. So if you don't want to do fundraising, it's a really great way um, to do it. In a lot of cases, it's the only way you can do it in some of these countries. Traditional missionaries cannot go into these countries. The only people that can are marketplace workers. So if you're interested in working with the unreached, some of the most unreached people groups, and yet... You know, I always thought medical missions had to be that you live in a tent, that you go to the bathroom in a hole in the ground, and you take chloroquine. Well, what if you could drink the water out of the tap, you know, live in air conditioning, and order MRIs? That actually can also be part of medical missions. Um, Finally, if you're interested in this, how you want to start, I would highly recommend starting with Scatter Global. Um, They're down on the um, 
down floor down here. Um, that's where I would start. The other thing, too, is if you do this, don't go alone. Uh, you've got to have a sending organization, but I would start with Scatter Global. This is my teaser trailer. If you want to hear more, I'm actually talking about the whole thing tomorrow at 930 over in the student block. Thanks. Uh, hello, my name's uh, Dr. Tom McKechnie. I was telling my wife I can't hardly order dinner in three minutes, uh, so this is going to be a challenge to get through a whole mission uh, mission journey. But um, So my name is Dr. Tom McKechnie. I also am an emergency medicine physician, um, and uh, Southeast is my home church where I've been ordained, and Southeast is an awesome church, wouldn't you say? All right. So uh, through my career, halfway through my medical career, I could not find Christ. It was just uh, too difficult. I was seeing too many bad things, and I said there could not be a God in all the ter- terrible things I was seeing. So then uh, God finally broke down my heart, and through my uh, pride and ego that kept me from uh, knowing the Lord, uh, he opened my heart to missions. But unfortunately, when I first started doing missions, I took that pride to the mission field, and uh, when I first started doing missions, I was doing huge medical brigades. I was seeing hundreds of patients. And when I would come home, people would say, oh, Dr. Tom, thank God you went. And I would say, yeah, that's that's kind of where I was at. And, uh, uh, you know, prideful doctors, I know you don't know anybody, any of those guys. So so eventually God would say, well, where am I in your mission work? So what happened is I started listening to these evangelists and pastors who were sending patients to me. And uh, what was interesting was they were telling me stories about their mission work. And one of them in particular said, uh, well, I just got back. I was going to a village where they, uh, 20 years earlier, had killed my father. So have you ever asked one of those questions that you wish you wouldn't have asked? I asked him, why did he go? And uh, his answer was pretty profound. He said, before I went in, they, they wanted me to drink poison. And I said, well, what did you do? And he said, oh, Dr. Tom, I drank the poison. Because I either get to share the gospel that day or I get to see Jesus Christ. Now, what do you do with an answer like that? Who better to share the gospel? Me in 10 days of of seeing patients or him who's got tremendous faith, knows the language, knows the culture, and can share the gospel and move the kingdom. So humility and empowering was the first two things God was teaching me. Third was partnerships. Partners uh, in the United States, I had wonderful mentors. I had Dr. Florence with Life in Abundance, my dear friends at uh, iTech, Jamie and Steve Saint, mentoring me along the way, my partners with Empower Approach with Charlie Vitito, telling me that the way to move the kingdom was teaching and training, not going and doing. So also uh, partners across the world, not only in the U.S., but our national partners, the key, as Steve Saint always said, listen to what they need and surrender your agenda because they know what they need and you don't need to go and fix them. They know what they need. And then the last thing I would ask you to remember is Jesus Christ. Do not move without prayer and knowing that Jesus Christ is moving ahead of you and your organization you decide to go with is never bigger than Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm Carol Spears. I'm a general surgeon, and for over 15 years now, I have lived overseas, first in Kenya, now in the Middle East, and I am here to talk to you very quickly about long-term missions. 
the many blessings that come when you go as someone who plants their life in another country, learns a new culture, learns a new language, learns people, learns to love what the people that you serve and live alongside love. The blessings are immense. There are many roles for us in short-term missions, and those are important and What I think is different about long-term missions, as you live and you develop relationships with the people where you are, God can take that and allow that to grow deeper. It can allow a place that it's safe to talk about those vital, eternally significant things and to process them together and live them out and work through them together. As I look at the people in my life who I think have been amazingly successful as long-term missionaries. I noticed several aspects. You know, some of these women that are are retiring after 40 years of faithful service, and I see these characteristics in their lives. First, an incredible love for Jesus, an incredible commitment to his word, an amazing prayer life, and community. You know, God gives us this gift of team and of community and a way for that community to help sustain us and encourage us and help us to persevere through the difficult times and then to multiply our joy in the wonderful times. It's really incredible. And these characteristics, I think, are so important. So as you look to serve long-term, especially for medical missions, look at the hospitals and the clinics and the locations that you're interested in and look to see what are the sending organizations that already have people in these locations because partnering with the sending organization will be of immense benefit to you. It will help you in all kinds of pre-field preparation and mentorship and just equipping you to be successful as you arrive to the field and giving you community on the field. So while you are here at GMHC, take advantage of the people that are there, the sending organizations, talk to them, hear their stories, talk to any of us, and may God really bless you as you seek to serve him. My name is Joji Thomas. I am a family physician uh, and have and live in rural Tennessee. Um, I want to just share a little bit about domestic missions, and that includes rural medicine. And so they pick the guy that's uh, living in rural Tennessee and the face of rural medicine, right? Um, uh, uh, to to represent uh, domestic missions, but also inner city. Um, I'm reminded of a story that I remember hearing at Urbana 90 by Mary Fisher. Mary shared the story of her friend Dennis, who grew up on a farm. And again, because I'm the days of rural medicine, I'll talk about farms and pigs. Um, But um, Mary shared a story about Dennis, who lived on a farm, and one of his uh, chores was to take the pig and uh, take, take slaughtered pigs and cure it, which meant taking raw salt, really hard raw salt, and rubbing it into the side of the pig to preserve it, to cure it. And then they would hang the pigs up on the, on the rafters until it was time for families to come over and have a meal. So one evening in particular, they um, had 
um, a special guest come over. And so Dennis and his mother went to the, uh, to the farm, um, barn and, um, picked the, the largest pig and it came crashing to the ground. And as soon as it came crashing to the ground, Dennis knew that there was something wrong, that there was something wrong. And as he looked at it, as the pig was opened and just teeming with maggots, there was only one thing that his mother said to him, which was, not enough salt, Dennis, not enough salt. And as we look at domestic missions, as we look at the needs in the U.S., and, and yes, there's needs everywhere, I can tell you that it's pretty real here in the States as well. As we think about the epidemic drug abuse, as we think about the paralyzing mental health issues, as we think about the, the painful dental decay that people live with day in, day out, and have no choice but to keep going, as we think about the illiteracy that binds people down, as we think about abuses in all its evil forms, as we think about empty churches and hospital closures and racial injustice and political tensions, who would have thought that we're, we're talking about America? Who would have thought that that's our nation that we're talking about? And yet we're here. Yet we are here. And this is where we are. So domestic missions. We need godly men and women. We need missionaries to stay. To stay. And to build homes. To plant gardens. To, to marry and have children. And be a part of this community in the inner cities, of the rural, rural areas, as well as the refugee communities that we are trying to welcome. We need doctors, we need PAs, we need nurse practitioners. We need nurses, we need dentists and hygienists, we need behavioral health to help heal our nation. We need teachers to teach. We need administrators and business people to, to lead. We need pastors to pastor. We need followers. We need followers of Jesus who will be salt and light. And we encourage you to come join the, the domestic missions um, and be part of that. And if you're still just learning, if you want to know more, go to groups like the Christian Community Health Fellowship, CCHF. Go to CMDA. Those are the two, those two groups really help mold and mentor me to who I am and that I'm here at Angelico for 21 years. Be part of them. Go to missionaries who have continued to serve um, in the inner cities, in, in rural communities, who are taking care of our refugee communities. Be part of that. Be salt. Be light. Be part of transforming the world as Jesus has called us to. Blessings. So I'm Jim Smith, and my topic for this evening is healthcare education. It's my passion for missions. I think we could all agree that Jesus is a role model for us, and when he was here, he had three main activities, praying, healing, and teaching. In healthcare education, we can do all three. Over the last 10 to 15 years, many medical mission hospitals and mission organizations have recognized the value of educating healthcare workers. Missionaries are still present and still needed, but their role is changing. The value that I see with healthcare education is 
that we have opportunities to show and share the love of Christ. We have the opportunity to influence the next generation of healthcare workers in their knowledge and also in how they take care of patients. We can model teaching as a worthwhile career, and we can leave something behind when we leave. There are multiple opportunities, both short and long-term, in mission hospitals, in Christian medical schools. But the other thing I would encourage you to do is to think about the possibility of doing that in a secular setting. For those of you who are still in the training part of your career, I'd recommend that you look for teaching opportunities, especially where you can get feedback. But also for all of us, we should be looking for courses and conferences where we can learn to be better teachers. If you're going to be looking for an organization to go with, look for one that values education. And here in this uh, conference, in the, uh, in the exhibit area, there are multiple organizations that do teaching and training, like in his image, Pan-African Academy of Christian Surgeons, Medical Education International, which does short-term teaching trips. So those are the possibilities that you could look at. So in summary, I would say that in the future, we should be looking at sharing and teaching, sharing our knowledge, our skills, our values of faith, compassion, integrity. We should be looking for showing our passion for evangelism, and we should be looking at leadership training and showing how to do that. But we should be sharing all of that with our national colleagues as equals and as partners in humility. And as in 1 Peter 3.15 says, with sincerity and respect. Thank you. My name's Elliot, and I'm nothing really special. In fact, I'm a missionary washout. I spent half my life preparing to be a long-term missionary, not washed out. And only then, when you get to the point of humility and you realize in a word of prayer that if nothing else, God, alone with him is enough, God takes you on the most amazing adventure that you'll ever experience. My name is Elliot Tenpenny. I'm an emergency medicine physician that oversees the emergency medical response programs with Samaritan's Purse. I build field hospitals and I send them all around the world. We staff them and we lead them. What is a disaster? A disaster is any time an acute event overwhelms local capacity. What is a disaster really? And where are we called to serve? I've had the privilege of being with a team that's been called to serve on the plains of Nineveh in the middle of a sectarian conflict where ISIS was surgically killing civilians, and we got the privilege of being Christians and accepting every one of those casualties and putting their lives back together physically and spiritually. In Ebola outbreaks, in cyclones, in obstetrical emergencies, recently after both an earthquake and a COVID-19 outbreak. And if the last two years haven't taught us anything, one thing it's taught me is there is no such thing as regional immunity to disasters. March 27th of 2020, a global pandemic started to happen. We didn't know anything about the disease. We didn't know how to treat it. We didn't know how to protect ourselves from it. We didn't really know a lot 
But when the call happened, no one answered but a Christian organization in the wider Christian community to set up a field hospital and take care of people in Central Park. That was what we did both in New York City and in Italy at the two epicenters of the outbreak. I would say to you all, God is calling us in a new way. He's calling us to help the people that are left on the side of the road, in the ditch, in life. And through disaster response, that's what we do. I brought a quick video I wanted to share with you. Go ahead. This is the worship that God desires. To break the chains of injustice. To lift the heavy burdens. To set the prisoner free. To feed the hungry. To give a home to the homeless. To clothe the naked. And to be there for your family. He took the sins to the cross, and he died in our place. And God raised his son to life. Christ is alive. He is at the right hand of God the Father, and he's coming back. And that, that is when the light pierces the darkness. When true healing begins. Where righteousness paves the way before you. And the glory of God protects you. And when you cry out to God, where are you? He answers, I am here. I am here. Let's uh, thank our six experts, please, again. What I'd like you to do now is just in small groups, two or three people, get together and let's talk about what you just heard. What was appealing to you? Um, what's, what, what stirred your hearts? And encourage each other with that. We're just going to do that for a few minutes. But please engage in that conversation now.
All right, friends. Let's uh, let's finish up our conversations. So now that you've thought about what you want to be when you grow up, you've thought about maybe you want to order MRIs in the Arabian Peninsula or you want to salt pigs in, in rural Tennessee, whatever you've chosen, um, it's time to think about preparation. So we have three more experts, people who have been involved in missions themselves and who have been involved in cultivating the careers of other missionaries, and we're going to talk with them. Tom, if you would, why don't you introduce yourself first? We'll just have short introductions. All right. Thank you, Rick. My name is Tom Boovey, and like Elliot, I, too, work for Samaritan's Purse, in particular World Medical Mission, and what I do is uh, take care of the mission hospital. Ideally, our, our goal is to send long-term and short-term missionaries to the mission hospitals, and we do whatever we can to facilitate that process and carry out uh, your passions and your call uh, as we move forward. Fifteen years ago, I sat in this audience and uh, heard Steve Saint and Dave Stevens talk about the call and prayed with my wife about where God would have us go. And, you know, and he flat out told us that, that it was time to give up a career of 11 years in ENT practice in the U.S. and, and move across the, the big pond and start uh, a new career at Kajabi Hospital. And, and, you know, it was one of the greatest things that I ever got to participate in, and it was a, a true pleasure. And our goal for you is, is to make that dream come true as well. Dr. Mike Chupp, and I uh, work with CMDA, help lead CMDA as the chief executive officer, and I've been doing that for two years. Um, since I was 12, it was clear to me uh, that God wanted me to be involved in ministry and in service, and missions became a part of that vision by the time I was 17. And a uh, long process, a long preparation, and uh, my wife and I, Pam and I, went to be missionaries in Kenya in 1996, and we served at Timok Hospital for 20 years. Uh, when God uh, called us back home through Dr. David Stevens, and we've now been at CMDA being part of leadership, and at CMDA, we want to walk with you throughout the entire career and uh, encourage you to walk, follow Christ, serve with excellence and compassion, care for all people, and advance biblical principles of healthcare within the church. And my name is Brittany Woods, and I don't have quite as an extensive experience quite yet um, as these fellows, but I served first um, with SIM in Lima, Peru, and I now have the joy of serving in the stateside office, walking alongside others who desire to serve overseas. So SIM is a global organization who desires to equip and train missionaries, um, and we, we like to respond to need proclaim the gospel, and equip the church. So any way that you are able to do that in your ministry, um, we like to come alongside the local church where there is one existing and where there is not, um, help local believers establish that. That's great. Thank you all. Mike, let me start with you. Um, if I'm committed now to pursuing a career in healthcare missions, do I look for formal preparation? Do I look for informal preparation? Where do I start with that? Rick, that's going to really be, that's going to depend upon where you are in your career when God gets a hold of you. Uh, If he gets a hold of you when you're in the middle of your residency training and um, 
you know, residency is busy and it's kind of tough to fit in a formal training. And if the next step is to go with the post-residency program or uh, to go straight with a mission city, it's going to be tough to fit in some formal training. Uh, so it may need to be informal. But I, I think some sort of spiritual training is necessary because what I've seen over the years and, and since coming to CMDA is even more true, very, very few healthcare professionals have any preparation whatsoever to do spiritual ministry. Mm-hmm. And so going to do only meet physical needs on the basis of the professional preparation we have, it ain't enough. Wow. It's not enough. So I just want to repeat what I think I heard you say. All of those years of training and all of those residencies and those board exams and that stinking organic chemistry that we, like, that doesn't prepare you to be a missionary. Uh, for It'll make you a great body technician. Okay. Good. Tom, do you agree with that? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. One of our goals has been to, to join with CMDA and, and work together in training and preparation of, of healthcare professionals, allied healthcare professionals, as they begin to go out, because you've got all the medical training you need. It's, it's the spiritual training, all of the humility that goes along with being long-term or short-term missionary there that requires so much new training as, as we begin to move in this process. Brittany, when you're uh, in your role at SIM, like, what would you say to people who are at the very beginning of this process? Like, what, what's the first advice you'd give to them? Um, <laughs> one piece of advice I actually might steal from my colleague here, and that is to surround yourself, as you said, with godly men and godly women. So at the very beginning of your process, when you don't even quite know what God may be leading you to, you may have an idea of what you want to do, but you don't know where you're going to end up. Um, it is important to have sound counsel around you, um, to have people who are speaking into your life, both professionally but also spiritually. Um, and let's say you are in the early stages of your professional training. You do have an option and an opportunity to seek out opportunities or organizations that allow you to have um, perhaps your residency rotation with a mission hospital. And that way you would get to see how exactly is this done and come underneath the leadership of folks who are in the mission field and who are working and have been there with years of experience um, and apply that to what you're learning through that process. That's great. Yeah. Um, I've told the story many times before in the... 20-plus years of inner-city work in Memphis, it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't made an agreement with three medical students when I was still a student and us doing that together. Yeah, individualism is one of our classic American sins. Hey, um, you're married now, but you weren't when you went on the field. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> and tell us, if you would, uh, if you can recall, what were your thoughts about going on the mission field as a single woman and your hopes it's a tough question. But. Yeah. Um, I think going back even to my previous response, community is so important. And it's not just community for the sake of uh, I'm a single person. I don't want to be alone and isolated. But the enemy really, really tries to attack us in those moments of isolation. And there are times that um, I experienced things when I was overseas, uh, such as family death and um, really just grim diagnosis with family members back stateside that I would not have been able to carry and shoulder those burdens had I had only tried to do them by myself and not lean on my team members and my teammates in Lima. Um, I think it's really important 
particularly for folks who are driven, like most of you in this room, um, you wouldn't be in the medical profession if you weren't driven, to not forget that the Lord calls us to community. The Holy Trinity exists in community, and therefore it's not actually an option. It's actually disobedient if you're wanting to be by yourself and isolated and independent, and you're not going to thrive if you're in that kind of space. That's so good, yes. Tom, if I understand your story, um, you had been in private practice and had an established career for a long time. You made sort of a late move. Um, How hard was that? I've often thought that, and I tell younger students, that it's rare in life to make hairpin turns, that once we really settle down where we're going to work and pick a profession and a place, it's really hard to do that. How did that happen in your life? It was one of those things that it was a slow process, and as I went through my years of practice in the United States, I I read this book that many of you heard of, this, this Bible, and, and I began to realize that God called me to to so much more, and by just continuing in my practice, I felt that I was uh, living a life of inaction, Disobedience. It was something that I just felt God has called me to so much more and my lack of action simply was disobedience and that I felt something was calling me to change that. And so as I continued and I just kept studying and reading great books and hearing great talks, I just began to realize that there's so much more out there that I was missing. There's a Mrs. Tom. Absolutely. Okay. And uh, were you all, both of you in line on those decisions as you were going? Or were you, was there a leading and following? or? A... She was patiently waiting for me to come along to okay. where I should be in life. Because women are more spiritual than men. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Good. Mike, uh, tell me, you've seen a lot of people come into the mission field, uh, both in short-term and long-term places. What do you think are maybe the number one or two barriers they have that keep them from becoming more involved in the longer-term way? I would love to say that every spouse is what Tom experienced. But unfortunately, I would say that the most common obstacle that stops is a spouse who's not ready. Um, And... I'm so, I'm so grateful that as Pam and I got to experience Africa together for the first time in 1992, I was doing a lot of prayer, prayer and fasting that God would, uh, have her agree that we were called into this together. But I would say, um, the biggest, the biggest obstacle has, has been, especially in married couples. Um, but close second would be other family members. Family so members. parents, especially parents. Um, and their children, their adult children, um, struggling with uh, lack of support from parents. Uh, I think those are those are big ones. But the other one is is a lack of faith that God's got this. That if I commit long term, especially long term, that I'm some gonna somehow gonna lose my prowess, my my profession, and that I'll that I'll lose my skills and my reputation over time, and I'll never ever ever be able to fill fit back in into North American practice again if God brings me home. By the way, that's, I think that's Will Rogers turning the lights on and off in the back there. <laughs> doing that. Yeah. You know, Chip Ingram made a, uh, one of his conversations or talks I listened to as I was beginning to feel this call was he continued to talk about FOMA. 
and, and he would use the phrase FOMA, and he would say, we, we all have this fear of missing out. And we sit by and we think, if I go, I'm going to miss out on, and you fill in the blank, we're going to miss out. You're exactly right. Brittany, how would you um, counsel a young person who is getting some pushback from a mom who thinks that it's, who got on the State Department website and read that bad things happen in that country? And uh, what, how would you counsel that 24-year-old person who loves their mom and dad and is getting some of that? Um, bring them along the journey with you. So a lot of times we don't realize that as we are going through uh, our prayer time and the Lord has placed something in our heart and we've wrestled with it for months, for years, before we may have even shared it with our family. And so the first time that you are telling your parents, your spouse, whatever, you may be six months or six years down the road of this process. And you're introducing this life-changing, life-altering thing to them for the very first time and expecting them to be right where you are. So I would say bring them along the journey with you. Start praying early and inviting other people to pray with you about this thing that, again, you may not even know what the Lord is calling you to. You just have a little inkling, a little spark in your heart. And you say, there may be something greater than what I'm already participating in. God, what is that? and inviting other people along in that journey with you. Um, and then leaving it up to God, because it's also not ultimately up to you to change your parents' mind and to change your spouse's mind or their hearts. And so trusting that if the Lord has for you,